It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 43 of Sports Day Plus. 6.15, it is the first of a three-segment chat with Eric Nalin of Inside Texas, discussing what the Texas Longhorn football roster might look like in 2024. And a mere seconds, Michigan wins the Natty, which has a lot of Texas fans, myself included, lamenting what could have been. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Congrats, I guess, to the Michigan Wolverines. Is it sour grapes? Does it sound like sour grapes? Because that's exactly what it is. But Michigan did win a national championship by defeating the Washington Huskies last night in Houston. And the final score wasn't all that close. 34-13 was the end result last night. And even though the game was relatively close, it was a one-score game after all, through three quarters with Michigan leading by seven, they... Hit the accelerator. They go all gas, no brakes in the fourth quarter of this contest to borrow a Steve Sarkeesian slogan and end up winning 34-13. to That's right, a 21-point victory for Michigan who ends up rushing for more than 300 yards on the night. A lot of questions asked about J.J. McCarthy and his abilities at quarterback. Kind of an underachieving year for McCarthy at QB. But guess what? As was the case all year long, They didn't really need that great of a J.J. McCarthy to win last night over the Huskies. McCarthy made a few throws and also made some plays with his legs, but ultimately it was about the running backs for Michigan doing a phenomenal job. Blake Corum, over 130 yards rushing on 21 carries. How about Donovan Edwards? Six carries for 104 yards. And the Wolverines do win the national championship. And it's really hard as a Longhorn fan to have watched that last night without wondering what could have been. What could have been if Michael Penix played like that last night versus a guy who put on one of the best individual throwing performances in college football history? That's not just me saying that as somebody who was watching in the stands in New Orleans last week. A lot of other people who know a lot more about college football said something similar. It was impressive. Wasn't a total fluke because Michael Penix is one of the most accurate quarterbacks in college football this year, but he hasn't been that good all year long, nor have his receivers. Which, Speaking of, Michael Penix getting pressured a little bit more by Michigan. His receivers were letting him down at times. We did not see that in New Orleans the previous week. As Washington jumped out to a lead, and it felt like Texas was playing catch-up for the rest of the night in the Superdome. The exact opposite happened to Washington last night, where they were the team playing catch-up throughout the night. Even after the kind of gifted a touchdown in the second quarter, I say gifted. I mean, Michigan goes for it on fourth down from their own, excuse me, from the Washington 38. They don't get it. Very stupidly throwing the football when they probably could have just run for it. Washington marches it down the field, scores a touchdown, and ultimately only trails by a touchdown at halftime and then going into the fourth quarter as well. But they could never really get it going. Part of that is Michigan 
controlling the time of possession, but also playing with a sort of physicality on defense that was lacking for Texas the previous week. Michigan has a better secondary than Texas. That's a uh, very sturdy branch that I'm going out on right now by saying as much. But even their defensive front, which you could argue Texas was better in that regard throughout the course of the 2023 season, they showed up in a much better way against Washington last night than Texas did the previous week. Even though they were only credited with one sack on Michael Penix, it felt like he was having to move out of his comfort zone throughout the course of the evening because they were getting guys in pretty quickly. Sometimes via blitz, sometimes with that organic four-man pressure. And that's something we did not see enough of out of Texas. And on top of that, Michigan, as I've already mentioned, they showed what it takes to gouge this Washington defense. And Texas did figure it out. Steve Sarkeesian, I think, did adjust on the fly with his offensive game plan to try and run the football a little bit more after he realized that Baxter and Blue were really having their way with the Washington defense. You didn't get enough of that on top of those guys each fumbling the football in the third quarter, which was just killer for the Longhorns' ability to ultimately get back into the game. But Michigan probably saw that in watching the game last Monday night and then going back and watching the game tape once again. And they realized that there were a lot of opportunities there for a team that was as good as just about anybody this year running the football. And they executed game plans on offense and defense pretty much to perfection. You could argue that they weren't perfect throwing the ball, but they again, they didn't need to be. You kind of knew what you were getting out of J.J. McCarthy, and he did make plays at times when he needed to, especially with his legs. They only needed to be good at running the football to control that game, and that's exactly what happened. Just like... What we had to say about Texas after the loss to Washington, still a great season for the Huskies, but it does fall a little bit short. There's going to be a bitter taste left in your mouth after last night's game, Huskies fans, because you were right there. And much like with Texas the previous week, it felt like at the start of the game, the moment was a little bit too big for the Huskies. That's surprising to me. Just based on watching Washington in person in New Orleans and seeing how ready they were for that moment versus a Texas team that was completely still on the sidelines before the opening kickoff. They looked frozen in time. And the initial possession for both the Longhorns offense and defense was reflective of that too. That kind of happened with Washington last night. Trailing 7-0 pretty quickly and really not able to get much going offensively in the first quarter. 14 to 3 after the first quarter and I believe Michigan was on the move at that point in time. And congratulations to Jim Harbaugh. Cheater. Good football coach, but cheater. Good luck with your next move likely as a head coach at the NFL level. And good on Michigan fans getting to celebrate a national championship. We as Longhorn fans have been through it before. It is an incredible feeling. And now a lot of Michigan fans who may not remember the most recent championship before last night, well, they have a fresh set of memories that they get to lean on for the rest of their lives. 
Real quick before the commercial break, didn't need to bring up a bit of NFL news. I was shocked to find out earlier today that Mike Vrabel had been let go by the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee had issues this year, and perhaps Mike Vrabel is a small part of that, but he has proven himself over the years that he is one of the most adept coaches in the NFL, and I'm guessing he's going to be highly sought sought after now. There are some people suggesting that Mike Vrabel might be the guy to succeed Bill Belichick in New England. Is Bill Belichick going anywhere? It felt like a month ago he was. But now I hear a lot of Patriots fans talking themselves off that ledge, saying, hey, Bill Belichick's just going to give up GM duties. He's still a great coach. He's just not going to be in charge of personnel anymore. How's that going to work for a guy who did have that responsibility for so many years now? And I would actually argue that he has lost it as a coach, too. It's a Patriots team that, while they've still played pretty good defense over the last few years, they are clueless offensively. He thought bringing Bill O'Brien back to coach Mac Jones was the answer. It's not. Because of both Bill O'Brien and Mac Jones individually, much less those two guys coming together. About attitude problems in your offensive play calling room between those two. But I guess it was an improvement from last year's cluster F of a situation where there really wasn't that obvious play caller on offense. And he had a couple of guys in there who had no business calling offensive plays at high school, much less the NFL level. All right, that's it for the NFL talk. Going to get back into the Texas Longhorn talk on the other side with Eric Nalin of Inside Texas, taking a look at what each position group might look like for Steve Sarkeesian's group in 2024. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellen. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellen. Eric Nalin is a managing partner for Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com and the Inside Texas YouTube channel. Check him out all of those places, and you get to hear him right now on this very show. Nice enough to join me for a couple of segments to break down what the Texas Longhorns roster might look like next season now that the year is officially over with. Eric, thank you so much for the time. How you doing today? Thanks for having me on. How's it going? Hey, I'm doing great. How you been? Been great. I mean, it's, well, I mean, the, the weather outside, I'm in Houston, it's quite rainy. It's like Mother Nature's way of saying... She's not feeling this matchup tonight. The Horns should be in it, not Washington. They're bringing the Seattle, the Seattle weather down here. So I'm a, I'm a little bummed out in line with the weather. But other than that, I'm great. By, yeah, by the same token, you and I both wish we were heading to NRG this evening. You were in New Orleans last week, correct, for the game? Absolutely, yeah. It was a great time. Game notwithstanding, uh, what was the highlight of New Orleans? Uh, just walking the city with my family, hanging out with some friends that I have that live there, uh, bumping into a lot of Inside Texas subscribers and, and just general fans. It was, a, it was a really good time. I love any city where you can walk around and then uh, get to catch a game as well. It's New Year's Eve. It's you know just a lot going on, lots of activities right up my alley. You've seen a lot of football in person. The Rose Bowl may be the only other environment that compares for me, but there's something so unique about just entering that stadium just from the two times that I've had the chance to do so in early 2019 and the last week as well. Do you get that sense too, whenever you were attending that game in person, Eric? Yeah, it was, it was electric, you know, well, there was a lot of buildup to it too. It was so late in the day. Um, You know, we were all at the, we had to go find a place that that was suitable for my five-year-old to watch. So we went to a hotel bar and it was just crawling with UT fans, just outnumbered them, you know, probably three or four to one, it seemed like. 
uh, watching the uh, Alabama Michigan game and you had the buildup. So I think there's, you know, a lot of that went into it. And then, you know, walking over to the stadium from where we were, it's just, yeah, there was a lot of electricity. It's, I don't know, you know, I think the, the game to me that stands out is always uh, OU, you know, that that's you walking into that stadium. It feels like you're getting ready for a fist fight. Uh, this one was a little bit more uh, festive, I would say, but yeah, it was definitely a lively environment. Uh, I mean, it's New Orleans around New Year's and an eight o'clock game. So we're not going to lament the loss last week too much. We've all talked enough about right. it through uh, through the end of last week, and there's uh, plenty of going on in this Texas program right now, namely guys who are making decisions on their immediate futures, whether to stick in Austin, whether to go pro, whether to transfer someplace else, as well as guys who are choosing to bring their talents to Austin as well. Uh, let's let's start here, Eric, because Texas is losing their top four wide receivers from this past season. Three guys who are going pro with JT Sanders, Xavier Worthy, and now A.D. Mitchell, and then Jordan Whittington, who is out of eligibility now and will likely be earning an NFL paycheck uh, for the foreseeable future as well. Uh, what are you seeing right now out of Steve Sarkeesian and his staff, and I guess the makeup of this roster that has you not as concerned with the future at wide receiver and tight ends for Texas? Well, number one at receiver, I love the addition of Matthew Golden. He's got experience. I think he's an explosive receiver. I think he's right in line with the uh, with what Steve Sarkeesian is seeking in a, in, a, uh, in a wide receiver. He's a deep threat. He can break a tackle. He's a vertical threat for sure. Um, I think he can run the whole whole route tree. Uh, he's explosive. If you went back and saw him as a freshman when he had a better better quarterback or a better passing game under Clayton Toon, uh, I think you would have expected a lot more out of him this season. The changing quarterback, his numbers weren't quite what you would you would hope, but he had a good game, 88 yards and two touchdowns against Texas. Uh, he's an explosive player. He's a kick returner, so he's going to help uh, fill the void left by Keelan Robinson and Xavier Worthy. And then I'm a huge believer in John Tay Cook. Always have been a big big believer in Cook since I saw him as a freshman at DeSoto. It's going to be oh, 55, 60 catches next year, whether they line him up inside or in the slot. Him and Golden working off each other are going to give uh, defenses a lot to worry about. The big question is, you know, what happens over at boundary receiver? Do they put Golden there or do they seek out somebody else that they've got to offer out to C.J. Daniels, who visited yesterday uh, from Liberty, wide receiver from Liberty, who was very productive uh, with Caden Salter. Um, he'll, you know, we hadn't seen him in a fully weaponized passing attack. So we're talking about a guy that could probably have 75, 80 catches instead of 55, like he had this past season. We'll see if they can get him. I'm pretty optimistic. And then you got Ryan Wingo who, you know, I think even though he's going to be inexperienced and Sark doesn't like to rotate his receivers a lot, he's got a lot of things that translate to the game immediately. You don't have to question whether or not his size and strength and speed are going to translate. He's, he's day one ready in that regard. Then he just has to get on the same page with the quarterback and understand the playbook and, and read coverages uh, but I think I think he'll be a quick learner in that regard. He's already off to a good start as, as far as, you know, he was he was getting a lot of coaching as much as the, the coaches could before he even got on campus. So I think he'll hit the ground running. But I mean, it's you know, they're going to have a running attack to, to make things a lot easier for the passing attack. There's going to be a mutual relationship in that regard. I think the passing attack, you know, third year Quinn, I think the passing attack is going to be perfectly fine next year. So speaking of Quinn, Quinn Ewers coming back obviously really negates uh, all the talent being lost at wide receiver. And he's just having to reestablish rapport uh, with his new wide receivers. He has a week to decide what he's going to do. Uh, I feel like you guys have felt pretty strongly that Quinn will be returning for next season. Uh, is that still where you are? Opinion yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's where led through our coverage since, yeah, for, for, you know, going back almost four or five weeks now, probably. Um, yeah, we, we expect him to be back. And I think, you know, once Malik Murphy left, everybody kind of understood that that, that was uh, at least part of the reason. Hmm. Um, yeah, I expect Quinn to, to announce that he's back whenever he feels like it. 
Um, the Mannings understand it already. So, you know, we'll see. It's amazing to me that there is a contingent of Texas fans that are arguing for Quinn Ewers to move on so the Arch Manning era can start. It's just one of those moments, Eric, where it proves to me that not just Texas fans, but sports fans really cannot have nice things. Yeah. I understand that sometimes the grass is actually greener, but to have gone as te- gone as long as Texas had without consistent play at quarterback, and I realize Sam Ellinger was an exception, although there was a little bit that was left to be desired with Sam Ellinger as a thrower too. To have a guy like Quinn Ewers who has taken the steps that he has from one season to another but to potentially get a third year of that, mm-hmm. of a former five-star who was the top quarterback in his class before he reclassified to enroll in Ohio State early, I guess it's just amusing to me is as uh, the bottom line that uh, we can't have nice things sometimes, including at quarterback. Yeah, I think you know fans are just uh, projecting immediate greatness on Manning in part because of his last name, in part because of his stature and his talent. I think he's going to be fantastic. I think he's probably going to be uh, no slight to Quinn. Eventually, I think he'll probably be the best quarterback they've had uh, as far as a passer coming out of the school pretty much ever. Mm. Um, so I think there's reasons to be excited about it, but you can't make up for experience in one offseason with, you know, he, he had what, I don't what he played in two or three games this, this past year and very limited. Um, I mean, there's no, it, that's, it's senseless to me um, to, to, to want Arch to start next year over Quinn. That doesn't make any sense. So I think you're going to see a different Quinn next year. We knew we, we were pretty accurate on what Quinn was going to be this year, a better, but not uh, certainly not a finished product. I think he um, got better throughout the season. And I think next year you're going to see him a lot more comfortable in the drop back passing game. I think his recognition of coverage is going to be a lot better. He's going to become a, a lot better, uh, well-rounded uh, quarterback. And I think he's probably going to be a front runner for the Heisman. So, you know, I think it's it's easy for fans to, to want what's next and project greatness on somebody that's just a, you know, just a blank slate. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited about Quinn coming back, assuming that he does follow through. I'm completely confused on guys still having COVID years. I thought this year was the end of it, but yeah. apparently it's not. Having said that, though, it's big that Jake Majors will be coming back for one more year. What are your expectations for this offensive line now that Jake Majors will be returning for one more year, considering that they only lose Christian Jones off that right side? Yeah, it's going to be still going to be interesting to track because you're going to have some uh, competition. Are they going to move uh, Hayden Connor over to right tackle uh, to to compete with Cameron Williams? If they do that, then you've got uh, Neto Umiozulo and Cole Hudson battling it out for left guard. I'm a big fan of Hudson. I haven't seen nearly as much as Umi Ozulu. Of course, he's got significant upside. Both of them are, I think, uh, significant upgrades as far as run blockers over Hayden Connor. Uh, Jake Majors, of course, coming back. He's, I think, I, I'm kind of, I hate that he got hurt versus OU, but I'm happy for him in that he finally started getting the credit he deserved yeah. uh, once he started missing some time. Uh, DJ Campbell, I think, is going to be uh, much improved. He'll start, you know, moving a little faster as far as uh, his processing speed. You know, and then you got Hayden Connor and Cameron Williams. Hayden is probably a better pass protector right now, and and that's in, that's important at right tackle. Uh, so Cam's going to have to uh, tighten up his kick step, get a little quicker. Uh, but you know, it's overall the the offensive line is going to be the best we've seen in, in quite some time. It's finally going to have you know experience pretty much uh, across the board, especially if Cole Hudson wins a job. Cam Williams is always going to be a big, heavy dude. How important is is it for him to uh, get more control on his overall physique though this offseason in order for things to start clicking? Yeah, you know, he's fluctuated a little bit like us fat dads have uh, throughout uh, December. You know, he's fluctuated in his time. He got down about 330, 340, um, you know, his first offseason at Texas. So I think he's probably back up around 360 or so. I'd probably want him down around 340. But it's really, you know, the, the right size is wherever he's comfortable, wherever he's, you know, holding up. And he's going to get a good barometer going up against Colin Simmons in, 
in, in, in practice. You know, if you can stay in front of Colin Simmons, then it really doesn't matter what your weight is. But, yeah, they're going to want to get him as quick as possible, and that, that'll entail leaning down a little bit. He's going to have to go up against some really good pass rushers in the SEC. So, you know, we'll see. But I, I think, you know, he'll probably hold off Hayden Connor, I think. But, you know, I don't know. Hayden, Hayden, Hayden's a better, uh, better pass protector than he is run blocker, and uh, you're going you're gonna to select for that at, at tackle. We're up on a commercial break, but stay tuned for more with Eric Nalin of InsideTexas.com and the Inside Texas YouTube channel on the other side. For the break, I need to let you know about my friend Brian Hummel. The website is HummelRealtor.com. Whether you're seeking your dream home in Austin or maybe you're curious about how much your home is worth, you should look no further than Brian Hummel, your trusted Austin realtor with Realty One Group Prosper. Brian is more than just a realtor. He's a full-service expert overseeing your entire transaction from start to finish. He'll lead you through each step of the buying or selling process with questions answered and details explained in plain English. With over two decades in Austin, Brian has witnessed the dynamic growth and evolution of the Central Texas market, making him your invaluable resource for buying, selling, and investing. Plus, as a certified real estate negotiator, Brian brings a strategic and skillful approach to bargaining. He secures the best deals, whether it's getting the highest price for a seller or the most favorable terms for a buyer. Plus, Brian's vast network of quality referral partners from mortgage brokers to home inspectors, appraisers, and more will ensure a smooth real estate transaction experience. When you choose Brian Hummel as your realtor, you're not just hiring a real estate expert, you're gaining a trusted partner committed to your success. Contact Brian today at 512-619-1347 or log on to his website. That's HummelRealtor.com. That phone number one more time, 512-619-1347 or H-U-M-M-E-L, Realtor.com. Brian Hummel, Realty One, the one you need. Coming up, another segment with Eric Nalin of Inside Texas on the other side. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Back for another segment with Eric Nalin. He is a managing partner with Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, and the Inside Texas YouTube channel. We are spending a handful of segments on today's show talking about the state of the Longhorn program and what certain position groups might look like for the 2024 season. You think running back, gosh, and I know it's hard to, uh, to to look at this so many months out before the 2024 season gets going, but considering the thunder and lightning combo that C.J. Baxter and Jaden Blue provided you once Jonathan Brooks went down to an injury, is that your, uh, I guess, starting and uh, depth chart backfield for Texas in 2024, those two guys? Because there's a lot of talent that's on the roster right now and some uh, some other talented dudes that are coming in with uh, with Gibson and Clark, too. Yeah, I think it is going to be a timeshare between those two. They're just they play off each other well. I think they're going to want to run maybe outside a little bit more next year, just because Jaden Blue excels in open space. I think they're going to throw the balls to them more. Uh, you know, they're going to get more targets in the passing game. Jaden Blue is exceptional at getting open uh, down the sideline, as we've seen. He's got elite speed for for running back, and I think C.J. Baxter is going to be you know a much more assertive, much more confident, much more powerful runner next year. We saw glimpses of it this season, but not quite as as much as some would hope. I think he's going to be. I think he's going to mature quite a bit as a running back. He's going to be, get a lot more comfortable within the running schemes, and so those two are going to get the lion's share of the, of the carries. Uh, but you know, saving our red still there. Trey Wisner's going to get more carries. You got Jarrett Gibson coming in and Christian Clark, both early enrollees. So there's plenty of depth at running back. There's no question about it. On the defensive side of the ball, Eric, it was great to see Baron Sorrell decide to come back for at least one more year. Why was that the smart choice for him? 
Well, he doesn't quite have the production as far as a pressure player uh, on the edge as you would like to get drafted high, but he can improve that. I think he can improve that, get a little quicker, uh, keep keep refining his technique. To me, it's, it's, it's every bit as big because he's a great leader in the locker room. You know, he's a great w- leader in the gym. Uh, he's going to be stout versus the run. You know, you're getting ready to go into the SEC. They just lost two uh, big defensive tackles in Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat. So that's a huge component of the run defense. To have a softer edge while losing those guys would have been uh, would have been catastrophic. So having him there, maybe Ethan Burke moves over there. They, those guys start sharing reps. Um, I think that's. I think Edge has a chance to be uh, to be a strike next year. Is Duncanville's Colin Simmons going to be a day one starter at the other edge rusher position then? I don't know yet. You know, I think he's got a chance to do it. He's going to be a day one player for sure. It's kind of like how we saw Anthony Hill play immediately. I uh, don't know if he's going to start. That's going to play out throughout the spring. You know, I'm not 100% sure they're moving Burke over to Jack. I suspect it uh, based on some things I've heard. They also brought in Trey Moore over there uh, from UTSA. He might play Sam in the base defense. There's a lot of different things they can do. They've got some young guys they really like that need big off seasons just to get bigger, faster, stronger. Uh, but again, they've got a lot of guys that can rotate. They're a long ways away from 2021 when they got in and had to take, uh, had to get whoever they could out of the portal. I didn't realize Sorrell was looked at as a leader on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, who are the leaders going to be for this team next year? I know you guys just put up a piece about that in the last couple of days. Yeah, I mean, we've been high on Sorrell since the day he got there because of that those leadership intangibles. Nobody works harder than him, and that's a good sign that he's going to maximize. You know, Jake Majors is a respected leader for sure. Kelvin Banks is respected. Uh, Kelvin's not the most vocal guy, but everybody wants to do right by Kelvin. And uh, I think Quinn Ewers, at least within his personality type, he's not the most outgoing guy. Uh, he's a respected leader as well. A lot of the leadership in the in the coming years is going to come from the 2023 players. That that class is, is loaded with leadership uh, ability. Malik Muhammad, uh, Anthony Hill, Arch Manning, they're just it's one after another. All those guys were successful in high school. All those guys helped lead their teams to uh, national championship or uh, state championships with the exception of Arch. Um, there's just a lot of leadership in the lower ranks, but the good thing about the, the, the culture is they're, they're keeping it moving. They're not having to start it from ground zero. So, uh, the culture is largely in place that, that it's a lot easier to, to keep it moving rather than, than getting something going. So culture's in a good spot, but there's not that de facto, uh, Jordan Whittington, Rashawn Johnson type leader, uh, at least yet. Now, if Jade Barron comes back, which, you know, the summer's still holding out hope for, I haven't entirely ruled that one out. Uh, he might become the voice of the defensive side of the ball, but you know, that remains to be seen. It would be so interesting if Jade Barron would come back because he seemed like maybe as big of a foregone conclusion on the defensive side of the ball as Xavier Worthy was throughout the course of this season. But he had some weird games at the end of the year. Maybe he was a little bit dinged up. Maybe he was playing out of position. What would be his rationale for coming back? It does seem like he is a guy who is ready to get that NFL paycheck. Uh, he's been, yeah, he's been that way. Uh, you know, finances can be a good motivator. Him and him and Xavier are two peas in a pod, uh, you know, rolling around town, taking pictures, living that pro lifestyle already. Not in a bad way. They're, they're good dudes. Uh, they work hard. Uh, but I think he probably didn't get the the grade that he wanted. He's not he's not hearing the the sort of uh, uh, talking from scouts, and he's not getting the feedback that he would feel confident about leaving right now. And, you know, maybe he came back. If he came back, he played a little bit more corner. It could improve his, uh, his value. They never really moved him to nickel because he couldn't play corner. That happens with a lot of players, but that, that wasn't the reason for him. They moved him to, to nickel because they wanted a corner there. Um, so if, if the knock on him is, you know, maybe he doesn't have corner ability, maybe he asks for more time at corner, uh, and that would kill two birds with one stone. You can give, uh, you can give more depth at corner. There's not a, you know, they just lost Ryan Watts. They're still pretty young there with uh, some of the freshmen coming in. Uh, and then you can also get Jalen Gilbo on the field a little bit more too, which would, uh, which keep him, which would keep him happy. You've got to, 
you got to get these snaps allocated to, to everybody. Otherwise, guys are going to get antsy and hit the portal. I feel like Barron kicking to the outside becomes Muhammad and Barron as the corners with Brooks maybe providing depth on one side. Is that how you see things too? Well, you know, I don't want to get everybody's hopes up with Barron, all this Barron talk about him coming back because we don't know it. But Barron could play Barron could play either corner spot. Malik Muhammad could play either corner stop, spot. And I think Terrence Brooks probably profiles better to the boundary despite him playing to the field. I don't I don't know that for a hundred percent. I need to do some more investigation on why they why they play him there. Uh, but I'm not I'm not as down on Terrence Brooks as as some other people. I think you know he he did struggle in a couple games uh, this year. They just happen to be two high profile games. But uh, overall, I think Terrence Brooks is going to be a really good player. Uh, I, you know I don't know. I think I think Barron's ultimate position in the NFL probably is nickel. Uh, but if he played corner a little bit more and, and locked uh, had some good game tape going against uh, some some lead wide receivers, I think it would probably probably help his uh, draft cost. But you know, we'll see. I mean, he, by the time we're off off the off the air, maybe he's already gone pro. We don't know, but I, we do know that he's going over all his options with his inner circle, uh, and the fact that he's not in there yet, it, you know, that gives us that coupled with our information, there's a real chance he comes back. We're just not sure if it's going to happen. I know you guys reported after the game last Monday that Ryan Watts was a possibility to return to Texas, but he needed to show a willingness to consider some reps at safety in the off season. Uh, clearly, if that was proposed to him, he uh, was not accepting of that because not only is he not coming back to Texas, he's going to try and go pro, which mm-hmm. is maybe a little bit surprising. Does that surprise you at all? And what is that willingness to play safety? Because if he's going to stick in the NFL, it does feel like that move is inevitable. Yeah, it does surprise. It does surprise me to some degree because you know, if I were him, I would want some uh, some familiarity playing safety. It's, it's a whole different position than corner. It looks the same at times, but there's a lot more going on for a safety than there is for a corner. Um, so it, it did surprise me. I think he was somewhat open to it, based on what I was hearing. He was at least uh, thinking it over. Um, but for yeah, for him to go pro, it's you know he's always since I've known him since he was a, a junior in high school. That guy's always wanted to play corner. Um, I, I thought maybe reality might set in a little bit. Uh, I don't want to knock him if he wants to go try playing corner in the NFL. You know, I, I hope it works out for him for sure. He was a great Longhorn. Um, I just think that, you know, lack of makeup speed is is probably going to hurt him uh, in the NFL, especially because a lot of those wide receivers are, you know, he's he's not he's not going to be the biggest DB on the field anymore. He's not going to be the biggest skill player on the field anymore. He's going to have wide receivers that are bigger than him, that move better than him. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. But uh, I hope it works out for him. He was a good Longhorn, played very physical football for Texas, um, and you know he's, he 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 led he helped lead the charge back to uh, prominence for UT. Safety is the position that I pay closest attention to on defense, Eric. So you can imagine uh, how I was pulling my hair out this year at times. Uh, safety left a lot to be desired. Uh, happy that Derek Williams is obviously going to be back next year. He was one of the uh, the brightest and most consistent performers this year. Michael Taft too. I know he's a, a little bit limited physically, but uh, there is something to be said for a guy who is always around the football. But based on player movement, guys like Jaron Thompson entering the portal, some other backup safeties as well who weren't ever going to see the field. I don't know what Keaton Crawford's official outcome is just yet, but it looks like he's not going to be a part of the roster. But some of the guys coming in, uh, including Makuba from Clemson, are you feeling better at safety right now uh, versus what we saw throughout the course of 2023? <sighs> I mean, I feel better about the talent level. Um, experience is always a concern. Experience goes a long way at safety. I know we saw experienced players like Jaron Thompson. You know, he got beat over the top a few times. Uh, but experience is very important at that position, just like quarterback and, and linebacker. Uh, so on paper, I feel really good about it. Um, you know, just the overall, the, the, the talent increase is pretty clear. I'm going to write up an article on that 
they've lost seven DBs, whether to the NFL or, or to the uh, uh, to the to the portal. I think it's seven. It, it, it would be eight with Jade Barron. It's either seven or eight overall. All said and told, with depending on what Barron does. Uh, so that's a lot of turnover, and you know, cohesion in the secondary is is important. Again, we feel good about the corners, at least pretty good. Um, and I feel good about Derek Williams and Michael Taft. If they have to start those two next year, they're probably in a good, pretty good shape. But depth behind them is a concern. Uh, Makuba, I think, has a chance, depending on what Barron comes back. See, that's part of the value add if Barron comes back. If Barron came back, he's at nickel, and Makuba probably stays at field safety. Uh, that's where he's played his best football at Clemson. And that's why Barron coming back could be big, you know, just beyond uh, nickel uh, playing at a high, high level. It could have downward effects on safety as well. Uh, I'm a believer in Taff. I felt Taff was the best safety uh, this year. At times, he's the best DB, uh, regardless of position. Uh, I don't know if that's great for the program, but it's great for Michael Taff and how much work he's put in. Um, so he'll be good. You know, and I think they're going to mix up their coverages more than we saw last year. Probably not nearly as much cover four. I think they'll be in cover three. You put Derek Williams down on the slot. You got Taff Roman center field. It could work. Uh, but then you got Jelani McDonald, who's a very exciting uh, football player. We saw him on special teams this year. He played last year at Star Nickel. I don't. I never felt he was going to stick there just because the coverage duties are a little bit too difficult for somebody his size. Uh, but he can certainly. He's certainly an athletic upgrade uh, at safety. Uh, and then you got Xavier Filsimi coming in. You got Jordan Johnson Rebel coming in, who has a high football IQ and could probably play a little earlier than people realize. So, you know, they're throwing bodies at the problem, um, and they're 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 increasing the baseline talent at the position. How quickly can it come together? Now that that remains to be seen. He is Eric Nalene, managing partner at Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, and the Inside Texas YouTube channel. Coming up, one final segment with Eric, where we do continue our breakdown of what the Texas Longhorns football team might look like in 2024, position by position. Plus, I may need to ask Eric a question about getting called fat by his kid. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Back for one more segment with Eric Nalin of InsideTexas.com and the Inside Texas YouTube channel. Before that, though, I needed to let you know about my friend Brian Hummel. The website is HummelRealtor.com. Whether you're seeking your dream home in Austin or maybe you're curious about how much your home is worth, you should look no further than Brian Hummel, your trusted Austin realtor with Realty One Group Prosper. Brian is more than just a realtor. He's a full-service expert overseeing your entire transaction from start to finish. He'll lead you through each step of the buying or selling process with questions answered and details explained in plain English. With over two decades in Austin, Brian has witnessed the dynamic growth and evolution of the Central Texas market, making him your invaluable resource for buying, selling, and investing. Plus, as a certified real estate negotiator, Brian brings a strategic and skillful approach to bargaining. He secures the best deals, whether it's getting the highest price for a seller or the most favorable terms for a buyer. Plus, Brian's vast network of quality referral partners from mortgage brokers to home inspectors, appraisers, and more will ensure a smooth real estate transaction experience. When you choose Brian Hummel as your realtor, you're not just hiring a real estate expert, you're gaining a trusted partner committed to your success. Contact Brian today at 512-619-1347 or log on to his website. That's HummelRealtor.com. That phone number one more time, 512-619-1347 or H-U-M-M-E-L, Realtor.com. Brian Hummel, Realty One, the one you need. I appreciate Eric Nalene hanging out for three segments today to talk about the state of the Longhorn program and what different position groups might look like for the 2024 season.
I'm not sure of what to make for linebacker next year. Jalen Ford just officially announced that he's gone again. Another one of those COVID guys. I had no idea that he had a year of eligibility left if he wanted it, but it's probably for the best that uh, he moves on to the NFL now. As much as it hurts to uh, lose his productivity, Anthony Hill played reps at that regular linebacker spot, even if he was a little bit of a liability in pass coverage. Really saw David Benda come on later in the year as well. And then, of course, Maurice Blackwell, when he got healthy, uh, provided some really nice reps for this team too. What does linebacker look like for Texas next season as it stands right now? I think there's a good chance that Anthony Hill moves over to Mike and, and takes over for uh, Jalen Ford's uh, spot. You know, that would be obviously – Jalen Ford had 10.5 tackles for loss this year. You put an athlete like uh, Anthony Hill there who had five sacks, that's not going to tail off much. So – uh, we know he's going to be good downhill. I, I'm a believer in Anthony playing in reverse and coverage as well. Coverage is uh, – a lot of times coverage isn't just athleticism and mobility and fluidity. It's it's understanding of where to be. It's it's recognition, keep, uh, using your eyes uh, – having your eyes in the right place. And I think that that requires time. That, that goes back to the experience that we were talking about at safety. Um, so if he goes there, then that gets pretty cleared up. You could have Leonga LaFau behind him uh, at Mike, who's terrific in coverage. And then at Will, you would keep Maurice Blackwell – uh, David Benda and with the younger guys competing like Darian Gallette, uh, Samaje Burrell could probably play either of the linebacker spots. They've got a lot of bodies. They've got a brand new linebacker coach. So uh, in some ways, that's good. I love what Jeff Choate has done. But now a new set of eyes will probably have them fixing things, uh, you know, that maybe Choate got them to where they needed to be in some regards. But a new set of eyes can always help you see things that you didn't see prior. So uh, I think there's plenty of talent to work with. I'm not too worried about linebacker next year. I think Jalen, I think Anthony Hill is going to be a uh, early round draft pick, you know, in the days of yore when linebackers were better prioritized by the NFL, he'd be a first round draft pick. Um, so I think they're, they're going to be in good hands at Mike. And then, you know, we'll see what happens at Will. There's, they've got they've got bodies, they've got athletes and they've got some experience. I'm um, just not sure how it's going to play out. But Darian Gillette will be one we'll watch closely in the spring because he's got significant athleticism. Uh, maybe he becomes the guy on third down, uh, you know, whether he use a, off the edge or, or blitzing. Texas just replaced uh, Jeff Choate, who has taken the job at Nevada with former Arizona DC, Johnny Nansen. I don't know a whole lot about the guy. He is the co-DC here now with Pete Kwiatkowski. What can you tell the people about Coach Nansen? He's a home run hire. Absolutely home run hire. Uh, He was with Steve Sarkeesian going back to Washington 2009. Uh, Before that, he played at Washington State. He played linebacker at Washington State. Uh, coached in the smaller ranks at Idaho, uh, Idaho and Idaho State, I believe. Uh, followed Sark from Washington to USC, stayed on at USC after Sark's departure. Um, was at UCLA, recently has got a graduated from position coach to coordinator, did a sensational job revitalizing the Wildcat defense. Um, he's a heck of a coach. He's coached multiple positions. The reason he's coached so many different positions is people have always tried to find a home for him on a staff because he's a terrific recruiter. Um, you know, Sark loves the West Coast. He loves he loves recruiting that area. Uh, right now, USC's down a bit. There's players to be had in ways that that isn't always the case out there. And now they got a hammer, a guy that can go out there and recruit for Texas in the West Coast. He's got tons of ties, tons of familiarity with high school coaches. He's he's recruited at an extremely high level throughout his career. I think I counted up. He's landed 26 total, four or five stars, and that's just the guys he's given credit for. Uh, he's not just going to recruit linebackers. He's going to be a volume recruiter and recruit different positions. So, uh, really, it's a home run hire. You think we see a change from one of the position coaches in the secondary? I know some questions have been asked about Terry Joseph and Blake Gideon, but ultimately, do those guys still have their jobs come spring and into the next season? Yeah, I don't think I haven't heard any any talk about them departing or 
or leaving. Um, you know, you never know what can happen if, uh, you know, the, the next coaching domino could shake something loose. Maybe they would leave for that. I don't think their I don't think their jobs are in jeopardy. Um, you know, if you look at the, the talent across the board at every position, they've got a lot more experience and, and or talent than um, than what Blake Gideon was was working with. Uh, Derek Williams was a five star, but had no experience. You know, they're not losing NFL guys at safety. Uh, so Blake Gideon hasn't had the same benefit that Bo Davis had. Bo Davis inherited a hell of a room. They just needed time to, to be coached up. Um, a lot of these other coaches have have better rooms to work with. Uh, Terry Joseph had a true freshman, and, and Ryan Watts, who was injured for much of the year. Uh, and when he wasn't injured, you know, he did suffer uh, getting beat deep a, a little bit. And then uh, Terrence Brooks is still pretty young. And, and you know, he's going to have a young room again next year, but at least they'll they'll have talent. So. I don't know. Fans are always looking for a scapegoat. Um, you know, whatever they it's the perceived reason they lost, that's the next guy that needs to be fired. I think that Sark is going to stick by his guys and realize uh, what I just said. Those guys need those guys are getting the talent in place. Now they just need to get some experience. Why are our kids calling us fat, Eric? Yeah, I don't know, man. The kid has no respect. The kid has no respect. You know, put food on his table. The kid just had Christmas. I mean, it's it's right right in the shadows of Christmas too. He's calling me fat. It's terrible. Did things slack off a little bit during this football season? I know you guys are busy as hell over there. That's why you have the the best info in the business. I mean, what, what was going on that uh, led to him calling you fat? Are you just letting the uh, the physique drop a little bit? Or yeah, just, you know, I didn't, I didn't eat as well as I should have. Um, you know, it's the holidays. The holidays, and then yeah, December was crazy, crazy, crazy. We had so much. You know, last December, you know, I didn't have the slack off, but there was nothing to write about. You know, there was you know hardly any portal activity. Um, there was no real intrigue around signing day. This this year, we had a lot more intrigue around signing day, portal activity, playoffs. I didn't have time to work out. Um, and, you know, apparently I had time to eat bad, though. So I don't, you know, I don't know. Got to reprioritize some things. Well, I try and explain to mine, too. You realize part of the reason why I eat as poorly as I do is because of y'all, right? Like, we do pizza and ice cream. Yeah, I love that, too. But we do that more because of you guys. Yeah, yeah, it's them. It's their diet. It's, you know, chicken nuggets and and Cheetos. It's, you know, it's whatever's easy for them. Um, you know, it's funny. My, my wife batch cooks for our dogs. And so the dogs are eating ground turkey, rice, carrots, sweet potatoes, all these things. And I was like, I just need to eat that more. <laughs> yeah, just get a couple scoops for yourself, and there's there's lunch and dinner for most meals out of the week. Absolutely. As far as the gym goes, you and I, you're mid-40s, right? Yeah, 45. Yeah, you and I are the same age. I, I turned 46 at the end of this week. So we got to be careful about how we work out, though. We're not going for PRs anymore. We're just trying to do the lifts that uh, help maintain a certain level of strength, maybe get a, give a little bit of muscle tone, but at the end of the day, we're not trying to hurt ourselves at the gym like like we may have been 20-plus years ago, you know? Yeah, you know, that's part of the problem, though, is because I was in there today and these two younger guys, this guy's, I don't know, he's probably a little bit bigger than me. He's, I don't know, early 20s. He had 275 on the bench and he, he struggled to get three. And, I, you know, in your mind, you're thinking about the good old days when that was nothing. Uh, yeah, it's hard. The younger guys mess us up. Again, it's the younger guys giving us the business. Um, I'm over there doing kettlebells to help work on mobility and, and you know, not dying of old age. And uh, they're throwing around, you know, what's semi-serious weight. Uh, I still squat like a like a real man. I don't deadlift like a real man. That's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, you gotta it's 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 reprioritize. You know, when you're 20, it's about vanity. When it's when it's 30, it's about strength. And when it's you know you're in your 40s, it's about not getting hurt. What do you mean by squatting like a real man? You're putting like two, three hundred on on your back or something and squatting? No, I mean I'm up in the mid twos, but I'm you know I'm doing real reps and I'm doing a lot of them. And I you know I haven't haven't given up on that. I don't I don't see many people in the in the gym my age. Uh, actually doing real squats these days. So, 
um, that's uh, that's that's where I feel, you know, at least still confident a little bit. I'm not doing much real weight, uh, but again, I'm, I'm just trying not to get hurt. Are you going ass to grass on your squats? Uh, th- yeah, if I'm going lighter, I do. I change that up. I change my stances up quite a bit, um, just depending on what I feel like doing. I change the rep range up quite a bit. Um, some days feel like going heavier. Some days, if I go lighter, I'm going to go ass to grass for sure. See, I can't do that. I've got to do trap bar deadlifts if I want to do some variation of the squat. I just put any amount of weight on my back or even doing like a landmine squat for whatever reason. It really messes with my thoracic spine, which makes me uh, sound especially like an old guy right now. Well, you know, you're 46 in a week. Uh, Maybe I'll have that problem in June when I'm uh, a week away from being 46. But until then, it's going to be squats for me. So I know that cold plunges are a big deal right now, and I've just gotten into these. And I got to tell you, it's not only exhilarating, I see some positive benefits. Have you uh, dipped into that world at all, considering that you're talking about things like mobility and recovery? Uh, I haven't. You know, I went into Lake Tahoe after a pair of Ray-Bans at about 7 o'clock in the morning one time, and uh, I don't feel like I ever need to be in cold water ever again, to be honest with you. But I, I have, uh, I've seen a lot of the replies about the cold plunge. I know it's all the rage. Uh, yeah, I have. I haven't done that. I, I just don't know. It's scary every time I get in the water, but after I'm done with the three to five minutes, I'm glad I did it. So take that for what it's worth. He is Eric Nalene. Check him out InsideTexas.com, the Inside Texas YouTube channel. Those guys do awesome work over there. I've been a, a big believer in that for a long time now. As anybody who has listened or watched over the years knows, and it's a pleasure to uh, get to catch up, Eric. Thank you so much, man. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. All right, another show is in the books. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Back tomorrow at 6. That includes a multi-segment conversation with Eric Nalene's co-worker. That would be Justin Wells of IT and the IT YouTube channel. You people have a great rest of the evening. Talk to you tomorrow at 6. In the meantime, hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.